Now, the passage that is assigned to today is four paragraphs. When you look at it together, I'm going to do something a little different and begin in the middle of the passage and then work my way out from there on either side of it because I think um, it'll make some sense to you when I do it. Also, uh, please keep in mind the song, the last song the worship team sang, I Speak Jesus. Think about what it means we sing these things, we, we read things in Scripture too, and we, we kind of assume we know what it means or how it should look. So what is, me, what is it, I speak Jesus? What does it mean to speak Jesus to every dark addiction, to the depression? What does that mean? How do we do it? How do you speak Jesus on the streets and the mountaintops? How do you do that? I mean, is it as simple as saying, Jesus, or something like that? I mean, I don't want to overcomplicate it, but like, I think we often do this, and we think, okay, we kind of have a handle on it, but do we? Do we know what we're doing? James 4, I'm going to um, take the middle, the second paragraph of the passage, and read that, and then talk a bit, and then we'll go out from there. James 4, verse 1. Thank you. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? Stop. Just Let's just stop right there now. And just think about what I just read. Now, I, I'm sorry, I told you um, four paragraphs, three, there are only three paragraphs in the passage that I'm reading. The paragraph doesn't end here. I want to get to the last half of that paragraph. Let's just stop here and think about this kind of familiar passage that we've often read. What causes quarrels and fights? How do they happen? And among us, between us, inside us. How, how do fights happen? Uh, in, in some ways, we kind of relish when another church is having a good fight because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But there's this constant tension as we measure ourselves among ourselves, and we often come up wanting. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights? I tried to do a little research and say it, it literally means divisiveness, um, that, that kind of thing. And, and it has the idea of brawling. You know, have a good brawl. I, I don't do this cage, this, this fighting business that a few of you have talked about, you know, where you throw a couple men in a cage, or I guess a couple women too in a cage, and let them fight. Uh, think about how that happens, though, on, on an emotional and spiritual and a relational level. 
So James is saying, I know that these things are happening. So what causes them? Well, he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, notice how he takes it, it, it's happening among you, but it's this, it's your passions at war within you. And when we talk about within, he's talking about the individual person. First, the, the quarrels and fightings are among us. The, the, uh, the passions at war are what happens inside each of us. So the way to solve quarrels and brawling and fighting is to deal with the passions within us. And, and the most important question is not what or who question, who you're fighting with, or what the fight is about, but ask yourself the question, why is it happening? Why? And so the why is your passions are at war within you. So what, what in the world could... I mean, what does this mean? Well, uh, this is... Some translations use evil desire or your desire. Evil desire is at war within you. And notice he says that you murder. Now, I don't think anybody in James's world was murdering their fellow people. Maybe they were. We don't, we don't know. And I don't know that any of you are guilty of actual murder. But James calls it murder. Because uh, he understands, I think, and... Uh, he, he, he calls it murder, and he calls it, uh, I mean, you just, you covet and cannot obtain. Murder and coveting. So how do we murder and covet? Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll just keep the, reflect on those questions. And he is actually saying that you, you people, me. Let's just not, now see, I'm saying you, me, me, that I do this. And, and then he says, he goes on, talks about, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So, so he's saying, he's comparing, um, he's saying, when you're spiritually adulterous, you, you say you have multiple masters you're serving, multiple women you're serving. So you're serving, trying to serve God, the bride of Christ, and you're trying to serve the world. And we could argue all day about what is worldly. Says friendship with the world. I mean, my grandpa thought steel, uh, rubber tired wheels were worldly. Um, you know, and it's like, and, and rather than focus on that, focus on so what's going on inside my heart. Where are my connections? How am I building my life? And and when he talks about murder here, he is actually referring back to Jesus' words on the sermon, uh, saying when when Jesus said if. If you speak ill of your brother, it is like murdering him. Remember all the times in James where he's talking about the tongue. And he's, he's bringing it all home and saying, if, if you are partial, if you show favoritism to people, if the rich man comes into your audience and you kind of cater to him, the poor guy comes and you kind of push him away, or if you have these favorites, or if you're partial, or if you know the word and don't do it, if, if you speak ill of other people, if, if you use your mouth to bring pain into the world, you, you're a murderer. And as a way to kind of bring it right home and saying, Ugh. and you know, when I read this, 
And again, just rethinking through it all this morning again, I'm thinking, I, it's really close to home. It's in my own heart. And, and I, I read a quote by St. Augustine, who is one of the earliest church fathers. Um, 300, late 300s, early 400s, he says this, My soul's house is too meager for you to visit. It is falling down. Rebuild it. Inside are things that would disgust you to see. I confess this, and I know it, but who's going to clean it? He goes on, talks about who's going to clean it, but unless we come to the place where we own the fact that we are these people, we will always be plagued with the quarreling and fighting. We'll never have true peace because we'll always be trying to serve ourselves and God. Friendship with the world, the, the, the enemy in the friendship with the world is not steel uh, rubber tires and television and these kinds of things. It is your own personal desires for self-advancement. That's what it is. When you embrace the world's view that you are it, that, you're the, that you should look out for yourself and, and you need to embrace uh, this kind of view of yourself that you need to lift yourself up. You're embracing the world's ideology. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ideology. It's a, a way of thinking rather than a thing. Now, let's go back to 18, uh, chapter 3 and begin at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his own good conduct, by, by their own good conduct, let him, them show their works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Stop right there. Do not boast and be false to the truth. If you have those things in your heart, don't lie about it. Say you have them in your heart. That's what he's saying. He's saying, be honest and acknowledge that you have those things in your heart. And I think he's pointing to all of us and saying, you need to be honest and acknowledge that. He's pointing to me. Let's just put it with me. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, I was thinking about that and thinking about in my own life. So if I, have, if I live with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and I'm not honest about it, I can never really be full of mercy, peaceable, gentle, kind, it, it, it mirrors so much of what Jesus talks about the Sermon on the Mount where he brings this Old Testament system of laws and everything, brings it all together and says, you know what, yeah, it's okay for you to, if you, you can do that on your surface, but at the core of what is, is the human heart. And uh, it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn who said this, the line between good and evil runs right down the middle of every human heart. We live in a world where tribalism is, is the most powerful thing. You, you have your tribe. You have your people. You have, you have uh, it's politically, it's, it, we're Americans, we're, we have these kind of tribes. And we tend to think about 
the line of good and evil running on the outside of my tribe between my tribe and somebody else's tribe, the opposing tribe. And, and Solzhenitsyn had it so right. And by the way, he suffered severely in Siberia, in the prison camps. And in those prison camps, he, he saw all kinds of evil being perpetrated. And yet he looks within himself and says, the potential for that kind of evil exists in my heart. And until we own that, and that's what James is pushing us to think about, until we own the fact that we are evil, that our house is broken, and that if you'd really see inside your house, it'd be really disquieting. If you'd see inside my house, it'd be really disquieting. Who's going to fix it? Well, James does give us an answer. Let's now skip across to chapter 4 and begin picking up again at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn. Let your... Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before God, the Lord and he will exalt you. So I, I, was, I was thinking about this passage. Again, this is a passage we know very well. God resists the proud but gives more grace to the humble. What does that really mean? Who are the humble? And if it's, if, if, because it's connected to the previous passage, it points back to the fact that the people who are proud, uh, the true prideful attitude of this world is when we say, we have, it all, we, we have it figured out, we have it all put together, there is, no, there is nothing wrong within me. I have nothing bad within me that needs fixed. Until we get to the place where we can say with uh, St. Augustine, my soul's house is too meager for you to visit, it is falling down, rebuild it. Inside are things that would disgust you to see. I confess this and I know it, but who is going to clean it? And who is going to clean it is Jesus. Do you know how we speak Jesus to addictions and depression? We say it is seven beautiful words that the church has said, that we've gotten away from, but the church has said since the time of Jesus. They've had this prayer that saints throughout history and that you and I need to embrace. That prayer is simply this. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And when we see the evil of our world, and it's a call to reflect and say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Because I have that same potential. I'm at that same place sometimes. If people could only see inside my heart and mind, they'd be shocked. If they could only see inside yours, they'd be shocked. And so... The, the abiding prayer of us, if we really want to learn what it means to say, uh, sub, to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, uh, draw near to God, and, and cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, be wretched and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom, humble yourself before the Lord. And this is the most humbling prayer that there ever was. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, because when we pray that, we're simply acknowledging that we need help. And the antithesis of a humble heart is a heart that says, I have it all put together. I don't need help. 
And for all of us, it is easy. Now, now I want to go back and point something out. It says, uh, it goes through this list of seven things. Here, uh, submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, be wretched, and humble yourselves. And we have often assumed that that means we need to walk around in our world with a long face. And that we, we just cannot be very cheerful. You know what? Um, that's not very appealing either. So maybe the, maybe the places that you need healing, maybe you first need to wrestle in aloneness at those places. And Narita has been, for 33 years, she's often pushed me to think about, you need some time alone just to wrestle with this. Yeah, okay, it's easy for me to make this, the pulpit, my kind of public space where I acknowledge my sins or do whatever and say what a bad person I am. But can I do it alone? In the aloneness of my space. And it is, it, it's in those moments where the true you really does come out. And so who are you in those spaces? Are you able to say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I once read a, a book that encouraged you to say that 100 times a day. Just keep track. 100 times a day. And you know, it can seem so trite. And, so, and you, at first it's almost rude. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And you kind of, kind of just kind of go. But after a while it begins to soak in. It begins to soak in. And so I think this passage... At, and this whole idea of what is the world and, and how do we deal with this evil desire within us is a call to return to something that the church and saints across the ages have understood that we need help, that you need help, and that I need help. And then he simply ends by saying, don't speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother and sister speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbors? Who are you to judge your neighbors? When the one who can look into your house and see the disgusting, disquieting pieces of your heart is able to see into there and still offer mercy and peace to you. Why can you not offer mercy and peace to the world around you? Why can Marcus not do that? Let's stand together. Let me just give you a minute. How about uh, I suge- I'll just suggest, and I need to do this, that you, um, in the quietness of your own heart, or if you want to mumble it out loud or shout it out loud, I don't care, say those seven words. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me. Thank you that it's a simple, that's what it means to speak Jesus. Speak Jesus into all the dark places. 
And we begin by speaking Jesus into the dark places of our own hearts. And Lord, uh, I pray in this coming week that we would often be reminded of this prayer. That you would remind me on a regular basis about this prayer. And as we examine our own houses and we open it up slowly but yet thoroughly to the light that shines into those dark places, I pray that then we could deal with the evil desire and those passions within us. Thank you for providence and for blessing us. And I pray that as we go through the week that the power of your mercy on us would cause us to extend mercy into our worlds and and the joy of you into our worlds as we embrace who you are and how you will heal and bring your mercy and kindness to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is just an idea, but something I've done with this prayer is tried to sometimes just set my watch to go off every hour if I'm at a place where I can. And every, at, when the, the dinger goes or if I have a beeper or something, then just say the prayer. There's just so many practical ways you can do that we can do this.